Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thank you for joining me. Today, I speak to Michelle Chant. Delivering change, communication and stakeholder engagement strategy in high-profile government programs has been Michelle's business for quite some time, that digital transformation, service delivery reform and cultural change. Her current position is Managing Director at the Change Collective, a consultancy group that delivers business transformation and service delivery reform within government and other high-profile organisations. Michelle is highly experienced in the field, having worked as an organisational change manager with Services Australia, the Department of Veterans Affairs, the Department of Home Affairs, and the Department of Immigration and Border Protection. In these positions, Michelle was influential in implementing significant change programs after identifying the blockers, and the drivers to positive change. She's passionate about change, using the power of storytelling to gain sponsorship and stakeholder buy-in and encourage executives, policymakers and stakeholders to embrace change by putting the user at the centre of everything they do. Michelle, welcome to GovComs. Thanks, David. Is change harder as a result do you think of the pandemic or has it shaken people up in such a way that they are more likely now to consider that change is a reality, change is something that they are going to have to deal with? I think people are starting to accept change as the new norm. So it's change as usual. And what I'm seeing is the response to the pandemic has been fantastic. The way government has got communications out there, the way staff have adapted to working from home, um, it's been very positive. Hmm. So with that, do you think change is the right word in terms of nomenclature? Because language is important. Change is always difficult. People resist change. So is there a better way to try to describe this this new normal, which is really about adaptability, agil- agility and sort of continuing on a path of perhaps continuous improvement? Well, we could look at transformation, which is done gradually and um, what you're looking at is a transformation across a program, a department, government. Hmm. So with that, do you, transformation is obviously a, a, a word that is that is used quite often. What what do you prefer? Do you prefer change or transformation or continuous improvement? What what's your preference? It depends on the project okay. or the program or the department and of course the people. Hmm. So we have different types of change. So some of the programs I've worked on have been on service delivery reform. Um, how are we looking at making services better? for clients or customers of departments. Other changes I've worked on, we've been looking at changing how a group works within a department. And other changes that we look at is, um, you know, obviously the machinery of government changes that we quite often see and we've seen a lot of over the last few years. Okay. So if we go back to, say, the beginning of a, of a change 
program or, or process or whatever it is, how does it generally work? Someone rings up and says, Michelle, we've got to change. We've got to change something. Can you come and help us? How do, what happens after you've, you've, you've signed the purchase order? Well, generally I like to go and work with their user research people to really understand who the users are. So, for example, it might be a website redesign project. What we would do is look at the different types of users and understand the context of why they're using the website and what tasks they're trying to achieve. We also then try to marry that up with the department's strategic direction and what they're trying to achieve as well. Um, so what we do is we'll go in and we'll identify what the drivers and blockers are to the change. And quite often it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. So we're having to break these groups of people down into... Well, break a group of people down into multiple groups and really work out, well, what is it that's blocking you from the change? Mm -hmm. So in that research, that sounds to me like a lot of one-on-one -on -one consultation, observation, discussion, like there's a lot of talking that's got to go in early to try to understand what those blockers are. Well, absolutely. In one project I worked on, the user research team um, did a survey which th 35,000 people responded to. <laughs> right. Um, which was great. So we had some really good data there. And then we started drilling down into depth interviews with people. Um, then we sort of put together a user journey um, and personas to understand who we were talking with. But we didn't stop there. We then then went back to the department, spoke to the policy areas, the comms areas, um, you know, legal, the whole the whole gambit and found out how they interact as well. Yeah. Um, and then we put together that full 360-degree view of the client right. and what they were trying to do. What makes a good interview when you're doing this sort of research? Listening. Okay. So quite often I find that um, when we're doing research, people will try and drive the research in a different direction. And you've got to put that at the door and really listen to what you're being told. So understanding the context of why somebody is using a product or a service and then, you know, understanding the tasks they're trying to achieve. And that might even mean going and sitting down next to them and watching them try and perform something. Mm. So, for example, a, a government system that staff might be using it's really important for us to go and sit down and actually see them use it and see where they're struggling and see where it's easy. Um, from there, we can actually work with them doing the interviews, understanding where they were coming from. And then what we do is start mapping what they currently do and what they would be doing in the future change. Mm. So when we do that... Um, we can see if a change is going to work. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we get to the point where it's like, well, there's no point in changing. Other times, Why is that? What, what would stop you well, encouraging a change? That they're already doing it? They're already doing or it. Or that the leap is too far? Or it, it could be too far or the direction um, is different to which the agency wants to go in. Sure. So what we do is we sit down, we map all of those 
um, we call it a change impact assessment. Mm -hmm. And we go back to the team that we're working with and say, these are all the impacts. This is the suggested um, solutions we can use to address that change. Or we may just say, it's not worth it in this case. And how often is the solution... um you know, better communication, clearer communication, more regular communication in in change? Communication plays an incredibly huge role and this is where the user research comes in. So what we need to do is listen more. One of the things I've found in working with comms teams within government departments is they get too caught up in this is our key messaging that we're going to put out there and what we're finding, it's not working. Mm So when we come back and suggest key messages for them, you know, we like to work with them to to see that through to messaging that's going to be meaningful to the client mm. and not only just tell people about the change but help to facilitate mm. that behavioural change and reinforce that so it continues. Mm. So what you're really saying is that, you know, that user research is really to drive the evidence and the insight which then helps you to then land on the language or the tone or the message or whatever it is that you're going to try to get across. Absolutely. And it's about going out. Um, We work quite often with an agile methodology. So um, we find that the teams that I'm working with will develop a prototype of a new product or service. They'll go out and they'll test that with the users, be it the general public or with internal staff. And we get feedback and we go back and refine it and we're always adapting and changing. Mm. And and are people comfortable with that or do they want to have the answer when they get through the change? Because this, I suppose this is my point around that wider context and people having had this massive disruption now, are they in that smaller world sort of looking for certainty that they can hold on to knowing that they can't really control that wider context? A lot of areas I go into go, oh, we know what we need to do. We know what the clients want. We know what they need to know. And when we drill down, they don't. So um, some areas... What questions do you ask to sort of reveal that they might be swimming with no clothes on? Um, Well, for example, we may sit down with them and um, ask them what user research they've done if the user researchers aren't in there already. And if the answer is none, then that's like, well, that's what you've got to do. It's a big red flag, definitely. Mm. Um, You know, I've I've worked on projects where I've gone in and said we need to do this because we're going going blind. And I've actually worked on a project where... Um, they were almost ready to deliver and I said, we really need to test this and see if it's going to work mm. for the audience we want it to um, work yeah. for. And when they went out and tested it with the audience, it was completely the wrong thing. Right. Okay. So thankfully they didn't launch it and they were able to redirect their resources into delivering something that did meet the needs of the users. How mature is this change practice in government at the moment or is it still sort of ephemeral, yeah, maybe we'll do something about that, Um, I'll just tell people what's going on and they can crack on? It varies across agencies. So um, I've seen some agencies which are set up with a um, dedicated change area and um, they centrally manage 
their change managers so they actually have sight of what's going on across the department. But I've also come across other departments as well that, you know, um, different areas will go out and hire a change manager and they don't actually have sight of what's going on across the organisation and that's where the danger can come in. Right. So you really do need that full line of sight across all activities in order for you to be able to connect up the dots. It definitely helps. Mm. And if you don't have that, what are the risks of, of only seeing part of the, 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 risks, the problem? The risks are that you'll see duplication um, of effort. You'll see um, actually projects undermining each other. Mm. Um, you'll have clients getting confused because mm. one area of the department is telling them one thing and another area is telling them something else. Um, it's it can be quite diabolical if it's not addressed. Hmm. What's what's best practice then? What what should you know? We've we've just had, for example, here in in, in Canberra, uh, a, a big budget, a po- that you know, a COVID budget where there has been an enormous amount of investment or money put into the various departments to deliver across a whole range of projects in order to stimulate. Uh, economic activity, you know, jobs, jobs, jobs. How should they set themselves up with this change function in order to adapt to deliver? I would actually like to see change management being brought in as part of the digital service standard with the Digital Transformation Agency. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things... Is it not part of that at the moment? No, it's not. So um, there's no standard across government for the delivery of change. So different departments will do different things. Um, I've just come out of one department that did something completely different to the other departments I've worked in. So it, what was it? How could it be different? Because you articulated a fairly clear process that was easy to follow in terms their, of you know, their the approach various is different. Their templates are different. It's um, quite often seen in some areas as an afterthought, whereas in other departments they're quite mature hmm. with their change management and the change managers get in on the ground floor, yeah. which is where we really need to start. Yeah. So. Uh, why wouldn't it be part of the digital standard? Why, why, why is it not there? When you consider that there are things such as, you know, standards around content, for example, you know, they're there and obviously agile and, you know, other, other processes and business processes are incorporated into the standard. I think they're focusing very much on the technology side of things and yeah. they're forgetting about the human side of things. Yeah. That's what it boils down to. Yeah. I totally agree with you, by the way. I think I think a, there's a really huge missed opportunity around the people side of things. I think digital transformation so far is all about service delivery. It's all about how quickly we can engage, yeah. how many clicks that we're going to have and how do we reduce the human impact because people want that service. But I think that's a bit of a nonsense, really. I think what this has proven, you know, the, the COVID period has proven is that people crave information from government because they need it. And when you consider government is going to play a greater role in people's lives in the next 10 years than it has in the last 100, 
government really has to get their head around the people bit for their own people and then externally they've got to get their, their game together so as that they can better explain policies, programs, services, regulations because if they don't, people aren't going to be happy. Absolutely, David. And that's where content comes into it as well mm. um, because one of the things I've noticed is that people are hungry for information but it's not worthwhile if it's written to a very high level of education. Like one project I've worked on, um, we evaluated the website and discovered it was written to a grade 22 level of education. What's a grade? Now, What's that? PhD? Well, over PhD. <laughs> so it was kind of crazy and, yeah. you know, we found out that only 7% <laughs> of the users of that website <laughs> knew how to use it. And we had to actually then sit down with the policy areas and with the legal areas to find out why are you putting up legalese mm. on the website? People can't understand it. And there was a real fear around if we don't if we don't have it the legal yeah. talk there, yeah. we're going to get ourselves into trouble. So then we did a bit of a hunt around and looked at what other government departments had done. And we sat down and said, well, this department has managed to do it. Would you say their legislation is more complex than yours? And they went, yeah. I said, well, let's talk to them. So sometimes it's about sort of taking people by the hand and yeah. showing them what's happening in other areas and showing them it is possible. And... Also, to laying out what, you know, their driver obviously was, you know, making sure legislation was adhered to and everybody was doing the right thing. Their blocker was they were feared that people were going to take advantage. So what we did is sat down with them and said, all right, we need to write it in plain English. And we actually managed to get it down to a grade four level okay. of education. So that's around an eight or a nine-year-old. Yeah, right. Yeah. That must have taken a lot of time. It did. It was a big, big project. Yeah. But it was also, too, working with the policy areas, working with the comms areas, yeah. um, working with the legal areas, and it was a matter of getting the content writers to go back and say, is this correct? Yeah. We yeah. don't want you to change the words. Yeah. Is this correct? Yeah. So where does education sit in t with change in terms of building the capacity and capability of government to be more effective? As a change manager, we work with, with the um, teams that we're working with and with users to get them across um, the line. That might involve comms, it might involve training, um, it could involve a range of things. So in terms of training, are you talking in terms of...? Well, I'm talking about sort of the capability of an organisation. So if you're going to change an organisation and expect somebody to do something different, yeah. you've got to actually help them sort of acquire the skills to be able to then... Um, be able to deliver on the on the, the future state. Sure. So that comes out of the change impact assessment where we, we look at their current state, their future state, what the actual change is, and we think how we're going to get them there. Mm. So what are the treatments we're going to use for that? So um, it might be a comms one. 
it might be training. So it might be training in a new system or a new way to do a service. Um, you know, it, it just depends on the mm. on the situation. One of the things I've found is um, a lot of places say, what um, change management methodology do you use? And for me personally, I'll use a mix of change management methodologies because there is no one-size-fits-all mm. approach. Yeah. But the methodology is they're pretty similar though, aren't they, really? It's like quite common sense in terms of starting understanding where you are, mm-hmm. understanding where you want to get to, understanding the people and everything yeah. that, about them and then really, as you say, deciding is it communication that's going to help them to get to where you want them or is it yeah. training or what are the other in- interventions that you can put in place as a change manager? So stakeholder engagement is a big one for us. Okay. Um, so getting out there, talking to people, taking them on the journey. So that's one of the things I like to do um, do with people is I always take them on a journey. So once I actually understand what drives them um, and what they might be concerned about, I'll customise a presentation or um, customise content for them that helps them become more comfortable with what we're doing. Yeah, so they can see themselves in the change. Absolutely. Yeah. And then how do you make them comfortable? How do you hold their hands on this journey into the future? I think one of the big things is really acknowledging that change is scary Mm. and that's okay. Mm. Um, One of the... One of the words that I love around change is having empathy for people Mm -hmm. um, and having empathy for the user and their journey. And I actually had an argument once with a comms director in one of the government agencies and she turned around and she said, we don't do empathy. (laughs) And I said, well, that's probably part of the problem that you're facing because empathy is not about giving people sympathy. It's about understanding Mm. what they're trying to do and some of the hurdles that they may actually face in trying to do that. Um, we found that the majority of people do actually want to comply with government regulation. There's only a very small percentage that don't. Mm. So if we can make it easier for those people to comply, we're doing our jobs. Mm. So just to close the circle from where we began to where we'll finish is this pandemic sort of consideration around change um, and given that as I say, we've just had the COVID budget, there's an enormous amount of money being invested, there's an enormous amount of expectation uh, that's being driven into the public service, there's digital transformation, there's technology, there's a whole lot going on. So what's your advice to change managers out there or people sort of being changed? What, what, how should they manage this period that we're sort of, sort of rollicking through, I suppose, and... and being buffeted through as we go through to the end. Be open, be fluid, expect things to change on a dime. Mm. Um, Don't get too comfortable Mm. and just flow with it. People did, that mobility piece sort of was pretty impressive, wasn't it, you know, from a public service point of view where they were able to stand up that mobile capability and Mm -hmm. get people home and get people working and, you know, they've had obviously different pieces of research that have shown that, well, people believe they've been productive and I think the next stage of that research will sort of validate whether or not that's true. But it would seem that the performance of the public service has been pretty good. I think they've been phenomenal, David. Um, 
I was working with Services Australia at the time um, that the pandemic started oh and just God. seeing the way they mobilised yeah. their workforce was incredible and it I actually felt quite quite proud to be working mm. um, alongside these people even though I wasn't involved in that particular mm. area but just seeing the way they mobilised and seeing the commitment of the staff. Yeah. No, it's been great. There's no question about that. I, I have a sister podcast to GovComs called Work With Purpose and uh, if anyone's interested in hearing the stories of the public service or the leadership of the public service more precisely uh, through COVID, uh, Google Work With Purpose and have a listen. There's some great stories there about... Uh, the change that happens. And I tell you what you do see quite genuinely from the leadership is that real sense of pride that they do have in their people because it's not just been the pandemic. We, you know, let's go back to the bushfires and the, you know, the, the hellishness of that and the, the difficulty, you know, in organisations like Services Australia who are already, mm. you know, had their Christmases destroyed and then had to pick up and do what they did and adapt and change and continue to deliver. And here we are in sort of almost the end of the year um, and everyone's still going pretty fast. So um, fair play to everyone out there. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the public service uh, adapts to this next sort of state of whatever reality is, you know. There's, as I say, there's... Lots of money being invested in lots of part of the lots of parts of the bureaucracy to to deliver better services to the Australian people to sort of drive economic activity to drive jobs. Uh, so it's good, yeah, I think twenty twenty one is going to be a, a, a very interesting time. Absolutely. Mm. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for uh, for coming in to join me in the studio, and uh, to you, the audience, thank you for coming back once again. Before we go, I do want to give a big plug to the GovComs Festival, the global twenty uh, four hour festival that we Content Group are delivering with our partners, the OECD. Uh, it's part of the OECD's Government Aftershock Global Dialogue, and it really is exploring what, in fact has happened around the world in all sorts of parts of government, not just about government communications, although that's what the GovComs Festival is clearly about, but it really is looking at all sorts of things on day one, November 17, and then uh, the day two, November 18, is a plenary session where, uh, you know, whether it's procurement or policy or service delivery or regulation, there are all sorts of things on day one, and then they'll sort of roll those up together. And it's quite interesting. There's three questions that have got to be asked. You know, what have you learnt? Uh, and what are you going to stop doing as a result of the pandemic? And then what's your plan for the future? So we'll be looking at that. And Michelle, you're going to uh, conduct a workshop as part of uh, the GovComs Festival in terms of change. Absolutely. Change mm. communication. Change communications. Don't miss that. Uh, we'll certainly get that out and promote it. But Google GovComs Festival. Make sure you sign up. Certainly join it. We are now several hundred registrations deep and we are getting all sorts of support from all sorts of people around the world. It's really interesting because I think communications time has come, you know, we're away. I think we're away. We're busted out of the uh, colouring in department, the end of the line, the functional, you know, just tidy it up on the way up. And I think people are starting to understand that communication is a critically important strategic tool if used well. It can help to deliver change and deliver transformation in order to deliver benefits to citizens. But I will stop talking because otherwise I will go on all day. But don't 
forget the GovComs Festival. So go out, Google it, see it, register it, and we will see you there on November the 17th. Thanks again, once again, to Michelle Chant from the Change Collective, and thanks to you, the audience, for coming back once again. I'll be back at the same time next week with another fantastic guest just like Michelle Chant, but for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.